You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the first episode of Can We Talk? I am Eric McLeod. I'm Damian Mitchell. And I'm Marquise Herring. So Can We Talk is an opportunity for us to express ourselves and talk about things that are relevant to today in our lives. And so we talk about multiple things from education to politics to, to just life. And so for today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about these young men in the city of Detroit. We're all from the city of Detroit. We grew up. We're, we're men ourselves. And we see all of the news talking about the crazy things going on in our communities. You know, people getting shot and killed. So what can we do? How can we in- invest ourselves? And what can we do to help these young men in terms of uh, providing some structure? Well, uh, I, I, I know you. Marquis, I know you, Mr. McLeod, and I know that uh, I think all of us is, are dedicated to young people. Uh, we dedicate our lives to them. And to be able to see uh, on the ground level uh, a lot of things that they're going through, I think a lot of the social issues, uh, before we even get to academics, is things that need to be taken care of and addressed. And uh, a lot of times that's not uh, really a focus. So a lot of their social and personal problems aren't really addressed, and it mm-hmm. leads into the education. It affects teachers, it affects staff, and uh, it affects the rest of their life. So uh, I think social issues is something that needs to be looked into deeper. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm, I, I would have to say, um, again, being someone who's worked uh, with uh, young men, specifically with my mentor program over the last six to seven years, that... Um, what we're dealing with now is the um, bad fruits of our labor in a sense because we stopped it. it, it you know, uh, Eric and Damien, when I go back, I think about it, it seems like we lost a parent after Martin Luther King died. And we mm-hmm. never you know how, how some families go through that point where you lose a loved one and you're never really able to recover from that loved one that was lost. Right. I don't think as a as a as a race and culture, we've we've really moved on. Uh, or been able to recover from a Dr. King who, who passed away, who, um, really set the tone and set the high expectation for what, um, African Americans should strive to be like and to go after. And we have really gotten off course. And so now you see generation after generation mm-hmm. of African Americans who have gotten totally off course, uh, from where we are. We are more, um, involved in things that deal with social media. Um, being famous, wanting to be in front of the camera, wanting to be seen, uh, more so than our academics and our future. Um, our kids don't even desire. Mm. And, and, I'm, and I'm talking about every kid, but I'm talking about what I see and what I deal with on a daily basis. Um, and kids that don't even desire an education anymore. And so when you begin to start to talk about the African American male, you have to go back and really do some, uh, some research and think about it. We're, we, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in an age in a generation where uh, we came through the the crack right. generation. Okay, and so you moved on from the crack generation to now you have the ecstasy pills, and mm. and and so now you you know you have all these kids who came up through these generations, and then you have you don't have parents anymore. So when yeah. you start to talk about the dysfunction of the, of the the black man, you have to first begin with the home. The home sure. life is dysfunctional. So, you know, there is no father in the home. And if father's in the home, 
he's not really asserting himself as the man mm-hmm. of the house. And so what does this young man look to? You know, in most cases, uh, most young men that I deal with in my mentoring group, their father is either deceased, mm-hmm. abandoned them, or is incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't have a man there, and I spoke about this in an article that I wrote for the Free Press a couple years ago, but that when you don't have a male who is sitting there at the forefront who provides discipline and structure, um, then uh, kids are left uh, to their own discretion. And we all know that a kid left to his own thought process and his own yep. uh, ways is going to fall totally off off course. And so it's the, really the family dysfunction that I, that I believe we need to start, we need to take a look at. Um, if we're going to turn things around, it's going to start with the family, uh, with, with fixing the family dynamic first. Yeah, I definitely agree. And to preface that, uh, we all work in some capacity with, with young men or, or young people within the city. I know, uh, Marquise has a program ment- mentoring through media and he works closely with young men and trying to mentor them to create better outcomes for them. Uh, I myself, I have an organization called the Dream Deferred Project. Uh, we work with 18 to 24 year old young men in the city of Detroit. To increase their outcomes, increase their life likelihood of succeeding in life. Mm-hmm. And Damien has an organization as well. Um, oh, putting youth first. Putting youth first. <laughs> and he works with young people in many capacities and trying to, trying to build leaders in the community. And so from seeing that, I definitely agree with you. Um, I think that we lost something. Something has been lost. Mm-hmm. The moral fabric of our community exactly. has, has definitely been stripped away. Um, you can just see from the way that the kids interact with their parents. There's no respect for parents. Mm-hmm. There's no respect for any authority. And then we we ask ourselves why are why are young people getting in trouble? Why are they not succeeding? It's because they are lacking these these basic understanding of what it means to interact with an adult. Um, this, this this basic understanding of of how can I treat someone else, a, a human being, with respect and and, and uh, be courteous to that person. And so it's about really trying to find a way to bridge that gap in the household. Yeah. A lot of young men who I work with come from broken homes, mm-hmm. come from from families who they don't know what it's, what it's like to be a parent because right. they haven't had parents who, in their lives. Right. And right. so we're trying to ask them to, first off, become decent human beings without having any structure um, and, or any guidance on how to do that. So it's definitely an issue that we see is persistent, but it's about trying to find those solutions. Yeah. You know, we can talk about the, the problems, but where do the solutions lie? Well, well Mr. Heron, uh, how long have you been in education? I've been in education for... Um, I want to say about eight years or so now. Um, for the first part, I was outside or working inside or going inside. Now I'm inside uh, the school working, you know, to to uh, branch out more. But, yeah, I've been working in the school systems. Uh, I started uh, with um, a last chance school called South Shore under Con- Dr. Connie Calloway when she was the superintendent of Detroit Public Schools back in 2006. And uh, that year we had uh, kids who had been adjudicated, um, who um, were not a- allowed to attend regular schools, and they could attend these schools and try to possibly graduate. Uh, now I'm uh, working over at uh, Henry Ford High School um, in Detroit. Great. Oh, so uh, in in your uh, in your uh, time as being in, involved with education, what? Have you noticed that have uh, been changing in students over time period? Well, um, and from from a behavior to or an academic standpoint, from a behavior standpoint, um, 
again, and I think one of you touched on this in the beginning, when you're dealing with dysfunction outside of education, it's hard for you to come into education and desire that. You understand what I'm saying? We always talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And at the bottom of that pyramid is the physiological things that we all desire in life, water, shelter, food. Many of our kids don't even have the basic essentials. So you're coming to school and you're telling me to learn the Pythagorean theorem, which is A squared plus B squared equals C squared. But I didn't eat dinner last night. I slept in somebody's car. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm house hopping, you know. How can I, I, I learn subject verb agreement right now? My basic needs aren't being met. So again, as I was saying earlier, it goes back. Everything goes back to the dysfunction in the home. Mm-hmm. Because if your home life is dysfunctional, then you, you're going to come to school. Of course, you're going to bring those same issues into the school system. So now you have this disdain for education. The student comes, their behavior is erratic because they don't know how to read. Right. Um, they don't know math skills. I asked a kid uh, a couple months ago, had him in my office, and I said, you know what? Your behavior has been off the chain. I said, tell me this. What's half of 300? Mm. This was an 11th grader. I said, what's half of 300? Wow. And he, he sat there and looked around, and he really couldn't give me an answer. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. What's half of $3? He said, oh, that's a dollar fifty. I said, okay. So what's half of 300? Mm. Said, Mr. Herring, I, I, you just asked me this already. I already told you. I don't know. I said, I'm going to ask you one more time. What's half of $3? He said, $1.50. I said, so take the decimal out. What's half of 300? 150? Yes. This is wow. why you need to be in school, young man. This is why you need an education, young man. And see, if it, that goes to show me that this young man, his education had failed him long before he even came to high school. Mm-hmm. And high school is not set up to remediate back to the third grade. It's just not. not. So when you start to think about education, how can kids take their education serious? When I'm living in squalor, when I'm living, uh, when my home life isn't right, when I don't know where my mother is because she's either at the casino or she's somewhere doing her own thing, and I'm here self-governing, trying to make life work for myself with no adult guidance and supervision, then I don't see an importance of education because in my community, when I look around, all I see is everyone living in survival mode. So we need to transform education, and education needs to be transformed, and it needs to be done by people who are from the area. You know, too often in Detroit, we have outsiders coming into our school systems and trying to tell us how to work with our kids. Well, I'm a black man. I graduated from Northwestern High School and got a degree from Wayne State, came from a single parent home. I know how to educate. When I look at those kids, I was once them. So when you start to think about reaching and teaching those kids, you need people who came from that same background, that same demographic to come back. And have a close relationship, kind of like what you're doing over there uh, at the Matrix Center with uh, you're putting uh, youth first committee. Yeah. And so the, the big concern is that a lot of a lot of times in education, especially in urban schools, we have so many intervention programs. But a lot of times they're not focusing on the right things. 
Um, you can, of course, you can put a program in and focus on one aspect of of helping a child. It could be the social emotional needs. It could be um, the academic needs. But we have to realize that it's such such a deep seated issue. It's not just mm-hmm. one one band aid. It's not going to fix be, all. Fix all. Yeah. Right. And so, what can we do besides just addressing it by instituting one program, one approach? How can you go into the community, build strong communities um, that can that can hopefully build the structure within the student's life, mm-hmm. and then ultimately create a better institution in, in the in education that can uh, help students learn and get them to the point where they can actually achieve on the same level. So, how can we do that? What What do you all see as as a as a solution for that? Oh well, I think that when I think of the days when I was in school, and all through elementary, all through middle school. And all through high school, I was pretty familiar because we had the same teachers. Now, they have different teachers, different counselors mm-hmm. every other year. Yeah. So they don't get attached. A lot of times young people get attached to things and they make them comfortable. Mm-hmm. But the uh, when you take their comfort away, then they become to be unstable. Right. So then they act out, lash out, and do things. And a lot of times we don't connect those, those two. We just think they're bad or, mm-hmm. you know. But I think that we were raised and uh, things, uh, just just for instance, the schools. We had the same teachers. We were familiar. They seemed like they cared about us. Uh, teachers now, students, you hear them say that, it's like, they don't care about us. I'm here for a paycheck. Mm. Why would you say that to it? I mean, it might be true. You might be there for a paycheck, but the student don't hear that, and they quite offended when they hear it. And then a lot of them don't, don't care no more. They think you're there for a check. You don't care about them. They, they act crazy, act out. Mm. So uh, I just think uh, to to make sure you're paying teachers uh, what they worth mm-hmm. is a start and making sure that, uh, you know, the staff in the building is, is comfortable so they'll stay, uh, mm-hmm. give them opportunities to stay. And I think uh, a, a comfortable, happy teacher will make, uh, uh, will stick around for the students. Uh, students will be more familiar. And I think that would, be uh, just a step in the right direction for making that that particular building uh, uh, a better a better environment. You said something, um, uh, and and I totally agree. Uh, inconsistency, mm-hmm. and 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 I want to take a look at that for a second. So when you talk about inconsistency again, and I keep going back to the home life because I think all of this starts in the home. All of it yeah. starts in the home. Um, if I'm living in a home. And I, I was talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And again, we're just talking about the first basic level of things that you need home, which is shelter, mm-hmm. food, water. If that stuff is very inconsistent in my life, I'm searching as a kid because we all know deep down inside, even the worst kid in terms of behavior, that kid wants discipline and seeking discipline because I've seen where in several cases when I've worked with those kids, how they turn it around because now they see discipline as you care about me. But if there is never any discipline in their lives, never any consistency, what I mean in their lives in terms of their home life, if they're always moving every other week, if they're always living at somebody else's house, they never know where their next meal is going to come from. If mom has a different boyfriend every month or every other week, if daddy is always in and out the house or never around or call, say, hey, I'm coming to get you this weekend, never come and get some. They don't have that relationship. Grandma is still young herself, so she's either living, doing her thing or or is deceased. 
I have no consistency in my life outside of school. So you talked about coming to the school. So then I, I come to school where you're telling me this is the key to life. This is the key to success. And I come into school and I don't get any consistency. Hmm. But I don't blame the kids. I blame the adults. And 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 I'm I'm gonna part with you a little bit on that, Damien. I don't always think it's pay. I think a lot of times teachers get frustrated. I'm getting knocked down from administration, from the people who are supposed to help support me in this, and I'm getting knocked down by the kids. So you're sitting here telling me that I have to educate for forty thousand dollars or forty five thousand dollars or thirty five thousand dollars a year. I have to educate. 35 kids in a class. Now, what's 35 times two? Because we know most kids have two different personalities. Yeah. <laughs> on, so on, on Monday, John might be the best student in the yeah. world. He's going right. to snap on Tuesday. <laughs> on, on Tuesday, he's snapping on me. Yeah. You know, so think about it like right. this. It's the scenario I use all the time. You're telling this teacher that you got to have lesson plans in every week. That you gotta teach this. So I, I have I have 35 kids in my class. 15 of them, let's teach, say I'm teaching an English class. 15 of them read on a fourth grade level. This is 11th grade English though. 15 of them read on a on a fourth grade level. 10 of them maybe are 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 your higher, right? Let's say they're they read on a ninth, tenth grade level. So you'd say they're they're on par for where they should be. Five or ten, five to ten of them don't even care. They're just there. They're there for lunch. They're there to, they don't even care. They're just there. So you're asking this teacher to de- to educate 70 different personalities. I got to remember when the teacher comes in, I ha- that teacher has to remember to take attendance. That teacher has to remember to, okay, uh, Eric doesn't like Damien. They almost fought last week. So I got to remember to sit him on this side of the room and sit that one on that side of the room. She doesn't have a pen. He doesn't have a pencil. <laughs> they so don't true. like each other. I think they're going to fight. He's feeling sick. She needs to go to the bathroom. I don't even know why he's in my class. He's skipping in here. They're about yeah. to fight in the back. And I I haven't even got to the objective yet. That's the first five minutes, 10 minutes That's of class. That's the first 10, 10 minutes. minutes. So, yeah. now, so now I'm getting pressure from administration because I got to get my attendance in by a certain time in a class period. But they're acting a fool in here. So a teacher at some point in time just gets frustrated. I'm catching it on every side, on every side. On one side, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do as a teacher. Um, in my evaluation, I'm, I'm being uh, uh, rated the wrong, uh, wrong, a tough rating. But no one's taking into consideration what I deal with every single day. Seventy different personalities. Each kid has a different personality, and I don't know what I'm going to get from this kid on Monday versus Tuesday versus Wednesday. Wednesday, they might automatically decide on Wednesday. Oh, guess what? I want to do some work today. So can I get my work for the last two days that I just didn't do anything in your class? Mm. This is what this is. the. See, I'm, I, some people going to come on the show and tell you something they, they read in a book, yeah. some theory. I'm telling you what I live. I'm telling you what I see. I'm telling you based on what I've experienced. Teachers are tired. They are tired. They're not allowed to teach like they used to. And this is not just a Detroit issue. This not is in the not. suburbs as well, because you have the influx now. Of, of kids from the city who have moved north of eight mile. And now you have the suburban schools who are struggling to try to remediate behavior, remediate education. And it's a struggle for them as well. So to, to I guess, relate 
on that point, do you think it's more so, I know you talked about the family structure, but do you think that poverty, I think poverty is really one of those things yeah. that, that causes all of this. I mean, obviously if, if, if the playing fields were level, you know, students in our, our communities would be able to, to, to perform on the same levels, but yeah. uh, with the poverty and, and of course the school districts are, are worse in urban areas because of the, the property tax, there's no one to live in the city. So you're not getting funny, funny for that. On top of that, you have the, the stringent, um, you know, state requirements in terms of, uh, you know, teaching for the, the tests, mm-hmm. uh, standardized tests are, are huge in terms of holding schools accountable. And so those those schools are penalized um, for not performing, which isn't fair because you're, they're put into a school in a district that doesn't have the funds or resources. Right. And so do you think if we address the issue with poverty, would that solve all of our our concerns? I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. I mean, in, in, in short, uh, money does help. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> money, money helps a lot of social ills. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, I was trying not to go, you know, cause I can, you all been knowing me for a while. Right. I can go, I can go to church. Take us. <laughs> but, <laughs> I can go to church, but, uh, you know, and I'll have my organ, my B, B3 Hammond in here with some, me. Some hymns. But, um, <laughs> but you know, um, uh, you know, the Bible says to be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hmm. And, uh, you know, transformed, be, being transformed, being turned hmm. into a new creature, a new person yeah. in your thoughts. And in your, it first starts in the mind. If your mindset is a survival mindset, you've never knew what it was like to thrive. Hmm. The survival mindset is to get it how you live, get it at all costs. Yep. If if I got a scheme to do it, I got to do what I got to do. You know, the kids nowadays talk about jugging. <laughs> That's their way of scheming now, yeah. you know, on people. But it's it's a survival mindset. And I and I talked about that parent and Dr. King. Hmm. Dr. King wanted so much for his people. He said, I, I'm, I, I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked over. I've seen. I may not get there with you. Mm. But I don't think this is what he had in mind. You know, oh, when, when you think about where we, the vision that he had for, for, for black people, for his, for his people, mm. it, we, we've come up short and we have more resources now than we ever did back then. We do. You know, I mean, when you think about it, it, I I keep going back to death and that parent that dies and you're like in a depression. Mm -hmm. And at some point in time, you're supposed to get up and say, you know what? I can't take this anymore. Mm -hmm. That person wouldn't want me to live like this. I got to get up and do something with my life. I got to get back in the game. I got to get back into living. I don't think we ever really got it. I think. I think we we've kind of got up. Oh, okay, I get up and do something. But thriving, mm. we've never moved to that point, and, and and we're stuck. Like we we are stuck as yeah. a people in in this this survival mindset. It's a poverty mindset. It's a I'm entitled. Mm. Let me get what I need to get, and I know I kind of sound like a Republican, right? Now. <laughs> 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 but um, it's a uh, it, it, it's a it's an entitlement mindset. It's a uh, let let me do enough to get the bridge card to make sure I'm still getting my no. How about let's do enough to get off the bridge card, right? right. You know, uh, it, it, but that's not the thought process. And so you even hear kids now. You even hear kids come to school, you know, making little jokes about my bridge card. You know, needing to be updated. It's a it's a survival 
poverty mindset that is being again tr- uh, transformed or, or uh, moved on to the next generation. Mm. And so again, where does that start? It starts in the home. It starts in the home because my mom was a Southern girl from Thomasville, Georgia, who moved up here when she graduated from high school. And she didn't go to college. She went to college for a minute, but she didn't, you know, graduate from college. But she wanted more for her kids. Mm. And she pushed us. And she pushed us and she pushed us. She wanted us to graduate from high school. She wanted us to make something of our life. Somewhere along the lines, that parent is missing. You know, when whenever a kid can decide themselves, oh, I'm not going to school today and just stay home or, you know, lay up with their girlfriend or boyfriend or significant other just laying up in the house and mom has no problem with it. Something is wrong. Yeah. And to go off with the poverty, I think that if you look at the African-American community, uh, we're one of the few communities where we have a thriving upper middle class. It's either two extremes, either in in deep poverty or you're extremely rich. Right. And so our young people, what they look at as being successful is being the athletes, the Mm -hmm. singers, the musicians, because they see that it's the only example of of a thriving. Or dope boys. Yep. Or or dope boys. That's the only, that's the only example of of a thriving um, upper class or or, a rich class. And so we need to fix and somehow we need to collectively show students that there's options outside of just that, you know, that, um, being a, being a, going to school, getting your education, getting a bachelor's degree, um, being a journalist, being a entrepreneur, those are ways for you to get out of that, that poverty. Um, Mm -hmm. and so if we just have to change the mindset of our, of our community, of our students and children in the community and show them that there are other jobs than being a basketball player, being a singer, musician, a dancer, and we have to show that. We have to expose them to that. Yeah. Eric, you know, um, one of my trips that I do with my uh, mentoring group is um, I take them through Gross Point. And uh, we ride through the Jefferson Strip of Gross Point, and I show them those home, big homes out there. I say, hey, this isn't uh, a rapper's house right here. And this isn't, um, you know, Rich Homie Kwan's house right here. <laughs> this is just uh, probably a doctor's house or, yeah. or a lawyer's house or engineer, a mm-hmm. um, CEO of a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. Or this may be a nurse's house, um, you know, yeah. or engineer, you know. And so it begins to make them think like, wow, it's more to life than just um, Mac. It's right. more to life than. I mean, it's more to life than Finkel. It's more to life than <laughs> yeah. Schoolcraft and Puritan. Mm-hmm. I thought I'm a Puritan boy. Wait a minute. What? What do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> I can I can have this stuff too. So that goes back to exposure. Mm-hmm. And if we're not exposing them to uh, a life that they can potentially have, showing them something other than where they currently live or where the, their environment in which that they live in then you can't be what you can't see. Right. And they're never able to really see a better life because they're not being exposed to it. All they're being exposed to is that survival, poverty, mindset environment in which that they live in, which everyone is, get it how you live. Mm -hmm. Let's wait on the bridge card to come. Uh, Let's smoke. Let's get high. Let's get drunk. Let's party. And then, you know, maybe I'll keep a job for a month or two and, 
until we show them, until they can see with their own eyes that education and exposure leads to a better life, then we're going to continue to go through a repeat. We are beginning to repeat a cycle mm-hmm. of poverty. Our young people who are dropping out of school and deciding that they don't want an education, they don't want a, a better life, what do you think they're falling back to? They're not Bill Gates going in the garage and deciding to, you know, build Microsoft. Or, nope. I mean, they they are falling back to the hood, yeah. you know, and back to what? That same poverty mindset. Mm. So then what, what, what ends up happening, they drop out of school, they create children who grow up with the same thought process that they grow up because they don't know any better than they, than their parent did. It's a reoccurring theme. I had one of my mentees who graduated in 2014 and then I'll be quiet. Um, he told me one time he was sitting in my office and he came in my office and said, um, he said, uh, coach, I got, you gotta, you gotta help me. Like you gotta help me do something. My father's father went to jail, dropped out of high school and went to jail. My father is in jail and I'm on the verge of not graduating. So what we see here is a pathology. Yeah. You know, it's a pattern that's going on here until we begin to expose them to something else better. Again, the Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Until we begin to expose them to something which will quicken in their mind or show them in their mind, man, I can do something different. I can live a better life. Mm. I don't have to settle for this. Mr. Herring did it. Mr. Mitchell did it. Mm-hmm. Mr. McLeod did it. I, I, I guess I can do this. Like I, I can do it. And this is why I said a little while ago, it is so important to put people in front of them who came from Detroit public schools, who came from the inner city, who came from single parent, no knock against outside agencies, but kids need to see and, and have a real field conversation with people who made it, who came from where they came from. And secondly, I'll say, and then, and I'll, and I'll hush is the church has to get back involved. Mm-hmm. Our churches, uh, and, you know, in the city, there's more than 2,000 registered churches in the city of Detroit. How can you have that many churches in one city and have crime where it is and have this, um, this thought process, uh, this poverty mindset the way it is? Mm-hmm. The pastor's rolling up and Benzes and, and, and BMWs and, the congregation, most in the congregation, are living in poverty. Hmm. That's that's that, that's troubling for me. When you go back into the civil rights era and you think about the church was everything. You hmm. went to the church for everything. You went to the church for education. You went to the, that was how you knew when before when Rosa Parks uh, decided for the the boycott uh, for for the whole Rosa Parks thing. It started in the church. Right. Martin Luther King went to the church to tell the people, this is what we're going to do. Now, what you see, and I'm not talking about every church. And you'll mm-hmm. see there are some churches that are on fire and are out here really doing good work in the community. But I'm talking about there are a lot of churches out here where the congregation meets and all we're talking, we're in the church hollering and shouting and running. And, and screaming about the pastor's anniversary mm. and murder is going on right down the street from the church. Huh. 
until our churches began to get more involved, physically involved with the communities in which that they are located around, we're, we're fighting spiritual warfare. That, that's the way I see it. We're, we're fighting spiritual warfare. And our churches have to get involved, have to get involved. Yeah, I think it's just about, you know, it happens in education as well. People get into it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And people see that they use those platforms as a way to get money fast, as an easy way to get money. But they don't realize that your purpose is much greater than, you know, the financial reward. And so being able to, um, you know, disconnect yourself from making that profit and actually saving lives, you know, that's where we see that uh, that disconnect happening. And so I can definitely agree that, you know, with so many issues and, and poverty is a, is a key part to it. But it's, the policy has been policies, you know, that for, for decades um, that have hindered the growth in our communities and in our schools. Um, you know, this didn't happen overnight. You know, a lot of times that this these were due to uh, policies and legislation through the government, through the state government that did cause a lot of this that we see in the community. And it has to be addressed as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of it's, it's you're fighting a battle on multiple fronts. And we got to figure out, you know, as a, as a collective, as a unit, what can we do to to really and truly, um, you know, fight. Fight back in our community to make sure that our students are prepared, our, our, our youth, our community is prepared to succeed um, economically, to succeed educationally. And who's going to step up? We definitely need some leaders and community to step up. Um, you know, stop tweeting about it. Stop going on Facebook, chatting about it. You have to actually do it. You have to mm-hmm. be in the community um, helping out to solve those problems, um, being there on the forefront, you know, of, of the battle to, to help change these lives and help, um, you know, take people out of poverty. And so that's my, that's my biggest beef. A lot of people just tweet about it. They, they, it's the social media now. You know, you put a hashtag, those hashtags are trans for 24 hours, but after that, what really happens? Mm-hmm. You know, that really has, um, you know, fracture our community, our society in general, not just the city of Detroit, but everywhere. Um, we're, we're, we're online activists, and we got to stop being online activists and really get involved in the game, in, in the game for sure. Well, I, I believe, and, and I've been thinking about this for, for, for quite a few years, that and you can tell me if you see any connection, but when the separation of church and state and they took God out the schools, it seemed like things just really went downhill. It's like the more they take God away from the things, that the crazier the society gets. And I think that that was something that that held the schools together also. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, believing in in a guy keeps you from doing things crazy. It's because a moral you, compass. Yeah. I was going to say that, yeah. um, you know, regardless of what religion that you practice, I right. think that having that, those moral, um, that moral compass and having those, those, those values that you believe in that are to help others, to, to give back, to, um, you know, to, 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 to be positive, a positive force in your community. I think those transcend any religion. I right. think that we just lost that. We lost that in our, our communities. Um, you know, in the sixties and seventies, you know, communities were so tight. You know, the parents were policing other, other kids, uh, you know, other kids in the community. So you didn't have to, you know, tell mama because 
the lady next door was gonna gonna hit you. So <laughs> she was gonna whoop you and then take you home for right, another whoop for another one. <laughs> and so yeah, and so regardless of that, I think just the, the we don't have tight communities anymore um, in our neighborhoods, and people don't care about each other like they did. You know, I think that having that religious background does play a part, um, but I think it's more so having that that those values and those norms, right? You know, that right. moral compass right. that's that's huge. Yeah. We just don't have it anymore. So, so right now, mm-hmm. you're sitting there. Yeah. What what is stopping you from going down the street? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. What is stopping you from going down the street right now and robbing a bank? I mean, knowing that it's not the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, we talk we talk from a young age what's right and what's wrong, um, and that actions do have consequences. But for some reason, I guess it goes back to survival. When you when you're trying to survive that day, you could care less what those actions are as long as it it means you're going to live, you're going to get to eat, you know, you got a place to stay. And so Marquise is right. I think being able to see past your circumstance right now is a reason a lot of these kids do what they do. Because, I mean, when it comes down to the hierarchy of needs, you're trying to, you're trying to eat, you're trying to live, you're trying to survive. And regardless of what it takes to do it, you're going to do it. And so now it's about trying to change that focus and figure out, all right, what are some other ways, some more – um legal ways <laughs> right so to, to 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 eat to live to survive why can't i start a business yeah i could let me go shovel some some uh, sidewalks let me go cut some lawns there are other ways besides on the corner trapping that you can make money um that you can support yourself and support your family and we just have to expose them to that you know with my organization um we're trying to partner with different skilled trades companies and provide them with opportunities to learn skilled trades i mean if you know about the jolos not the jolos anymore but the um Little Caesars Arena, they need at least 50% of their employees need to come from the city of Detroit. But we lack the skilled trade, those those people who have those skilled trades. And so for me, I'm trying to connect those students in the program with skilled trade opportunities so they can go work for the, the Little Caesars Arena and help uh, build the construction and, and work with that. So it was just about um, providing those options, um, showing them what it takes to be successful, and just helping them go, teaching them how to do it. Giving those, giving them the resources and tools to be successful. Exposure, exposure. Yeah. That word exposure. That sounds familiar. You, you have the program. Yeah. And and that's what you said you did. We do with your mentoring program. You take them to uh, you said Gross universities or and, yeah. yeah see different things. So can you tell us about the because the exposure bus tour seems like it could be something that's placed throughout the school system. Because yeah. I think all of our students need to, but but you can elaborate further on it. Yeah, so I actually, yeah, so I had two organizations, Exposure Bus Tour that I'm sorry, it's put on the back burner because I'm working with the Dream Defer Project. But Exposure Bus Tour is essentially that, taking students around the community to expose them to opportunities. Um, with the Dream Defer Project, we have an older, older group demographic they're working with because we see that, you know, a lot of our students or young people in our communities if they drop out of school, chances are they're going to do something illegal, mm-hmm. end up in jail. So what can we do to curb um, those outcomes for them, you know, once they're 18, 19, 20 years old? And so providing them with skilled trade opportunities, providing them with entrepreneurship development, um, providing them with apprenticeship opportunities. That's definitely, um, you know, something that I'm trying to invest more of my time in because I think that that population, 18 and 24-year-olds, those are the ones who are out here. They are getting in trouble. You do see them on the news, you know, robbing people. You know, um, selling drugs, mm-hmm. killing people. Mm-hmm. And so what can we do to put some hope in their lives? 
And so that's that's one of those things where, you know, Dream Deferred Project is one of those things where I'm trying to really get off the ground and, and really get working in our community. Sure. And and it's it's so vital, and 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 I just appreciate the work that you are doing with the Dream Deferred Project because it's so vital. Because after I get them across the graduation stage and they turn their tassel from the right to the left, and they graduate from high school, many of them are lost at that point. We see uh, many of them who graduate from high school who go away to school, and they come back after a semester because they didn't do well in school or were kicked out. They were never really ready academically and uh, for the, the work at a university. So they come back home and they're sitting there like, okay, I'm stuck. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's where the, the work that you do, uh, Eric, comes in uh, into play. Because many of them, we know that they are um, misguided or and, and need guidance. Um, I always tell, um, you know, my mentees that that time between 18 and about 21, almost 22 are some of the most confusing times of your life because you may go to college and, and go into school and say, hey, I want to go into uh, um, mass media and production and get started taking a few classes. You know what? I think I want to go into music now. Mm-hmm. You know, wait a minute. I, I don't I don't like these classes. I don't want to do music. I want to yeah. be a teacher. You know, and so I don't even know if I want to go to college anymore. I think I want to go to the to the army or something. <laughs> so like true. you are so confused. So you true. change your major so many times because you're sitting there like I I really don't know what I want to do. And so if think about a kid who's sitting there between that 18, 22 range, and you have no guidance. Right. You don't have a, a a strong person in your life who's sitting there telling you who's helping guide you through that process. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you're left to your own intuition. Mm. And you haven't been down that road before. And in most cases in the inner city, most of our kids don't have a lot of family members who have went to college and went through the process. So now, you know, they come home and first thing someone says is, you need to go get your job. <laughs> right. you, know, <laughs> you know, get, get McDonald's hired. <laughs> you better get up there and get your job. Yeah. And so again, they end up right back in the same, mm. same process. You know, um, when you start talking about lower skill jobs, you start talking about a McDonald's. Yeah. Um, you know, I always talk to my kids and say, guess what? It doesn't take a lot of education at all to work at McDonald's. Nope. I mean, you put the fries. The fries are dumped in their own basket. You just mm-hmm. hit a button. Got a little timer. And a little timer. <laughs> then when they're done, it beeps at you and yells at you and tells you that it's done. It pulls it up. And then all you do is shake a little bit of salt on it mm-hmm. and you put it in a cart and put it in a bag. Everything comes ready made. Mm. So what thought process do you really have to put in to work in there? None. So None. what makes you think that you're about to make top dollar? <laughs> Fifteen an hour. Fifteen an hour, <laughs> making a making a Big Mac. Yeah, I mean, but our thought process, the our thought process is messed up, y'all. Like it is. I'm, and when I talk to y'all about this, I, I I I I'm so passionate about this because the older that I get, the less tolerance I have mm-hmm. because I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I see it every day. I see it every day. You, you're sitting there and you're talking to these kids and you, you're spending time with them and you don't see them advance and they don't know what they want to do hmm. and don't care about it. Like, and I remember when I was in high school, sometimes a staff member may yell at me or something. I say, I don't care, hmm. but I really did care. Right. 
a lot of these kids now say it, and they mean it. I don't care. And it's going to take a lot of effort on our part as a community Hmm. to uh, really um, get our kids on board. And Hmm. it's going to start, my God, I think it has to start with the church's involvement with the the adults you know my my work i believe my work my calling from god is to work with uh young men um they're still at an age of uh acceptance where and uh you they they want to receive a good word from you if you're talking about something that, that if you touch their hearts if you uh gain a relationship with them then you can begin to help transform that thought process and open their eyes to something different but their parents in a lot of ways, you know, ha- are set in their ways. Mm-hmm. And I, that's just, I can be wrong, but I feel like there's another road for, for them. You know, someone else needs to intervene where that's concerned. Mm-hmm. But the kids, our kids, we have to begin to, um, not stop being scared of them for mm-hmm. one and realize that they're, that their kids, they may be speaking from anger, mm-hmm. but, uh, and hurt that we have to begin the process of showing them something different. Yeah. And we're going to begin to wrap up on that point. Um, just it's important to realize that we got to expose them, you know, expose them to different opportunities, mm-hmm. uh, different avenues of success, and it's going to take a collective effort. And we definitely had this conversation going along um, throughout the, the course of this podcast. Um, you know, this is one of many episodes going to help in education. We have some other, you know, talented individuals who work in the community and education who will be um, joining us in the future. Uh, but, I just want to thank you, gentlemen, for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. We had, a, we had a great conversation, and that was our episode of Can We Talk? <laughs>